0: Welcome to Exploring the Divine Feminine. I'm your host, Ramona Sidaway, and this is episode 27. I talk about things as they relate to men and women in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's almost always in relation to them. Uh, I am not an official voice of the Church uh, by any means, and a lot of these things are my thoughts and my commentaries. I've written a book called We Are Adam, the partnership of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and what it means for you. And I highly recommend you get that book. I will reference it quite often in this podcast. And there are a lot of new things in there that you probably have not been taught or learned about, especially when it comes to women and the creation of Eve and what we are meant to be in this world, in this church, and how we are meant to be full partners with men, not to be above them, below them, but absolute 100% full partners. And this is completely different than in the church. Uh, in the last podcast, I talked about how the church is just a scaffolding. There's not going to be a church in the next life. It will be organized. We will be organized into families. And so <clears throat> the... Um, this partnership that we talk about between men and women it refers most um, more carefully to marriages because adam and eve they were married for a time and all eternity by god um but i do think if as we delve into this more that women can be better partners within the church, within callings and things like that. And and I do see the church moving in that direction. First of all, I have to apologize for my voice. I'm coming, uh, I'm just coming out of a cold. And um, we'll just have to excuse my scratchy voice, but it had been more than a week since my last uh, podcast. And I definitely wanted to get back in front of the microphone and talk to you about some things in the come follow me lessons we are studying the old testament this year at the time of this recording and we've been studying moses uh, more specifically moses 2 and 3 and in abraham and we're talking about the creation and we're talking about the creation of adam and eve and here's just some thoughts that i had they're not in any necessary order Um, a lot of them will be repeats of the same ideas that i have in my book we are adam which by the way you can find it anywhere they sell books Um, it's on amazon it's cedar fort you can just pretty much any any place online that you can get it first as we talk about in moses um moses chapter two in verse 26 and um, we read this in genesis 2 where it's talking about the plurality of gods where it says we will um let us make man in our image in verse 26 um and i god said unto mine only begotten which was with me from the beginning let us make man in our image after our likeness and it was so while it says in Moses uh, chapter 2, verse 26, I know he's talking with Jesus Christ, but since there was a male and female created, there had to have been um, a heavenly mother that was involved in this creation because the Eve was not created after a man. She was created after a woman in the likeness of a woman, a heavenly woman. And I'll be um, referring to some of these uh, uh, references that will uh, prove that point or give more credence to that idea, even though a lot of people will say, well, if there really was a heavenly mother, why is it not apparent in the Bible? Well, from all of my studies, it was at some point, number one. And by the eighth century, all of it was erased. And this was, we call this the um, uh, Josiah's Purge. And it took a couple of um, uh, monarchs to be able to accomplish this. Um, They took out any mention of Jesus Christ, and they took out mention of Heavenly Mother, and they called her the Queen of Heaven. And there are still, number two, there are still echoes in the Bible. And um, in my book that um, I will be probably releasing in the fall, I'm writing about Mother in Heaven and how she is finally coming out. As women, we are emerging from the wilderness and Heavenly Mother is emerging more and more from the wilderness. She was a very taboo subject only within the culture of the church, not within the brethren. Because um, she was talked about quite a bit and as we've noticed lately in the conference talks and in other talks, um, a reference to heavenly parents is, is much more common. The young woman theme is we're daughters of heavenly parents. So she's coming out more and more and we are, seeing more and more echoes in the old testament and new testament of her of how much she was involved and her purpose and we will be able to see that as women as we go into um, the talk about um, elohim in genesis and moses god um and erastus know and i'll i'll reference this quote later on, but Erastus Snow himself said that there cannot be God without a male and female. So he was referring to God as a title. So anytime we see, I mean, yes, there are times in the Bible and in the scriptures where it refers to God as a, a male, but there are often times where God is a title that is referring to both husband and wife, male and female, heavenly father and heavenly mother, because they work together as one, as one unit. So in, in my opinion, when the gods are God, heavenly father and heavenly mother are addressing the council as they are creating this earth. And many of the great noble ones were part of this creation. They helped in the earth as did the sun, Um, Jesus Christ. Um, Margaret Barker, who is, uh, I've talked about her before, and she's probably the forerunner of all of this um, temple theology and the things that she has discovered and found. And um, she speaks as well of this divine counsel. And she argues that um, ancient Israel, um, before the redactions that were, um, before the redactions and the alterations performed by the Deuteronomists, they clearly, there was a a clearly distinguishable factor between God, uh, the Most High God, and several sons of God the chief of which was Yahweh, or Jehovah. And she has a lot of evidence to show that the early Jewish converts to Christianity, they retained a lot of, or well, they retained shreds of the ancient belief naturally, as they saw Jesus Christ as the bodily manifestation of Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. They, the ones who recognized Jesus for who he was, they had not completely forgotten this belief and this of of a heavenly mother was was attempted to be eradicated it was a lot was perched out of the scriptures but it wasn't completely eradicated from the culture because people want a heavenly mother they need a mother beside the father and it was taken underground but most of the people still believed in the heavenly mother and still taught about her to their descendants. And even Spencer W. Kimball, and I have this quote in my book as well, that when we refer to man in Genesis, it's not just meant to describe a separate man, but a complete man, which is husband and wife. And I've referred to before about Ish and Isha, Um, when it was referred to man, was only used to refer to man after he had acquired an Isha, a wife. And she is referred to as an Isha. So Adam was was more um, man of the earth. He He was of a lower status. And then when a woman was given to him, he recognized in her um, that she was a woman, that she was a holy woman, she was an Isha. I've I've stated this before, is that he had to have something to reference when God brought her to him and asked, who is this, what is she, you know, who was she called, what is she called by? He was, in a sense, I think, testing and, um, letting Adam realize on his own the sacredness of Eve, because he is referencing the only other holy sacred woman and mother that he had known before, and that was Heavenly Mother. This is only logical, that the Heavenly Mother was walking with Heavenly Father in the Garden of Eden, talking, teaching, preaching. and she was very intimately involved with the creation of the earth as well as the creation of mankind and women were created after the likeness of of heavenly mother erastus Snow, here's the quote that i referred to earlier he expressed that there can be no god except he is composed of the man and woman united And there is not in all the eternities that exist, nor ever will be a God in any other way. There never was a God and there never will be in the all eternities, except they are made of these two component parts, a man and a woman, the male and the female. And I just want to point out there, as far as we have evidence right now, it's only one man and one woman. That's the evidence that we have. That is the main law, the general law. The First Presidency gave a statement in 1909 and again in 1925 that states, all men and women are in the similitude of a universal father and mother and are literally the sons and daughters of deity. So to say that, um, like I said, culturally it was taboo, but it shouldn't have been taboo to talk about a heavenly mother, because as early as the early 1900s, the first presidency came out in a statement that we were made after the similitude of two heavenly parents. Though masculine verbs and adjectives are used with God's name, evidence exists that the goddess Asherah was sometimes worshiped. Allusions to a female deity are also seen by some in biblical references to wisdom. And in the text of mystic Judaism, referring to the Shekinah. I will refer in my new book about the different titles and the different names that are given to Heavenly Mother, Asherah, Shekinah. And the one that we see the most in in the Bible is wisdom. Part of the big issue that we come up against in all of the biblical evidence and apocryphal evidence and about the worship of a heavenly mother of a queen of heaven, they called her is the biggest one is um, Jeremiah. And that's where a lot of people will quote that Jeremiah was opposed to this worship. However, there is no opposition to any of references to a mother in heaven, a queen of heaven um, to worshiping the mother in heaven to this asherah before the eighth century not a single negative thing was said or written and it wasn't until um king josiah and a little bit before where they tried to get rid of the queen mother for some reason they wanted to get rid of the feminine divine and so this prophetic opposition does not occur whatsoever until the eighth century i'll I'll go into that in explicit detail and i will have evidence i will i will show you that we are meant to know about a heavenly mother um as of now we are told that it is not appropriate to pray to her because of evidence that was not, that is not found that we are to do that. And I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't have an issue with that. I know she's aware. And in my heart, there might be times where I will refer to her as well, but you know, I, I pray to heavenly father and I prayed him through Jesus Christ. I do really believe that she is aware. She, I am made in the similitude of my heavenly mother and my heavenly father and my older brother, Jesus Christ. I'm in their divine image. And as we continue to learn more and more about heavenly mother and we'll, I think we will bring that out more as we discuss in the Old Testament. And just to start with, when you read about wisdom, anything that talks about wisdom and think of that as a Heavenly Mother to give you an idea of what part of her characteristic do we can we take on that we can know more about. As I've said before, and I'll say over and over again, the center of our worship has been and always will be Jesus Christ. So as little as we know about Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and as much as we want to know about them, The best way is through Jesus Christ. This is what we're told. This is what we're taught. This, these are the experiences that I've had. And some of those things, while I continue to research and ponder and meditate and pray about, I am happy to put them on the back burner for a time because I know my questions will be answered. I know I will be able to see Heavenly Mother, I really believe there's gonna be more revealed about her in the coming days. These are just my thoughts. And if there's not, that's fine. It doesn't change my testimony at all. It doesn't change my feelings about the brethren. It doesn't change my testimony about Jesus Christ, or to change um, my thoughts about who I am as a daughter of heavenly parents. We come to know who we are through Jesus Christ. I can come to know who I am as a woman through Jesus Christ. But let's continue on as we talk about the creation, as we talk about uh, the creation of male and female in in the Moses account and the Genesis account. There is another gentleman. um, uh, He's a biblical scholar, he's now LDS by the name of Friedman. And He's, he's quoted quite often, um, not only in LDS circles, but in, in religions and groups that like to learn more about the divine feminine. And he says this, quote, just as the male God is the model and image for the first man, so some divine or heavenly female figure serves as the model and likeness for the human female, the first woman close quote and I think that is completely amazing it's so logical and it rings true the spirit rings true about that even in the first presidency's proclamation of the family they affirm about the the sacredness and the eternal aspect of gender and if it is true in this life it is true our heavenly parents there is different genders the male and the female despite the confusion that the world is trying to create in our lives now and it is taking some very good younger people um, away and confusing them about their gender and it it breaks my heart because to be a woman is incredibly sacred it's incredibly beautiful And femininity, on the other hand, is not a cookie cutter. There's not a cookie cutter for it. It doesn't mean that we can't wear pants or that we can't, um, be interested in and do those things that may have been traditionally male or the way we dress or the way we talk, but there is sacredness in our mission and in our, uh, capabilities as women. And we need to hold on to that and pray and search for what our divine mission is as women. Um, and I praise those men who hold up that uniqueness and um, are very supportive of the women in their lives. I especially appreciate those priesthood brethren that do that. And in verse 28 of Moses 2, talks about be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The Hebrew phrase for be fruitful and multiply seems to be a deliberate play on the words that are used for without form and void. In this case, The living creatures of God's creation are hereby empowered to perpetuate God's life-giving creativity by bringing still more life into the world by filling up and inhabiting that which was previously empty and uninhabitable. The difference between the formulation here and God's blessing to the fish and fowl in verse 22, is subtle and meaningful here, God directly addresses man and woman this term does not simply mean to refill, right? But simply to fill or make full in, so this command in this verse can also be reworded as be fertile and increase, fill the earth. And we're still asked to do that today. What I like about the symbolism of if, as it's a play on the word without form and void, we know that God took the materials that were present, that were in chaos, and he formed them into something of order. He created something. And as men and women, we do that too. It's not just about having physical children, but as men and women, especially as partners, we have this, this superpower that we can create order out of chaos in all of its forms it um creating a home writing a book together um doing a lesson together creating a life that before felt so um, disorderly so chaotic and and we are brought together to create order out of that something And it was by that 1% elite, the ones who altered the Bible. And they also took many of the symbols of Asherah, the symbols of the Queen of Heaven, and burned them, destroyed them, and changed some wording in the scriptures to make it seem like she was of a, um, that she was a goddess of a different culture that was worshipped, and this was not true, that she was the wife of Baal, and this was not true. They've just, they tried to change vowels and consonants and words that not only have those been, a lot of those been straightened out, but because of things that have come out since the early 1900s well even the late 1800s where scriptures are finally being found through archaeology that confirm a, a lot of these things that we have taught in the church since the time of Joseph Smith and one of those is uh, is a goddess and I'm quoting from this book by Jeffrey Bradshaw and he said talking about the goddess such a figure is to be located in a perfectly orthodox biblical context, usually dated in the early post-exilic period, but having roots in the same mythology from which the stories of creation have their origin. Consider the remarkable passage in Proverbs chapter eight, verses 22 through 31, and this is the one I was referring to, in which the status and role of Lady Wisdom described according to this and other passages so other passages lady wisdom was begotten or created before the general creation and in fact served as co-worker or agent in the process of creation she was um, a close and intimate companion with God the with God the Father and she also worked very closely with the son and my personal opinion is one of the reasons, not the only reason. One of the reasons that the um, the priestly elite, the wicked priests, wanted to get rid of Emily and of her is because how closely she was tied with the sun. We see in uh, the Book of Mormon, in the vision, the Tree of Life vision, both Lehi and Nephi had. They had that true tradition still carried on within their family. So they had that vision, of the tree of life. And the first thing that the the guide taught Nephi was that the tree of life represented the mother of the son of God, which was Mary. And I believe she is the archetype. And other um, LDS scholars agree, she is an archetype for the mother in heaven. So she is so closely tied with Jesus Christ that they couldn't tease the two of them apart. Um, So they had to erase both of them. It is quite legitimate to imagine the conversation recorded in Moses chapter 2 verses 26 through 28 as being addressed to a person like Lady Wisdom. And this is how the verse reads, Let us make humanity in our image, according to our likeness. The man was made in the image of the male God, Yahweh, and the woman after the likeness of the female companion of God, Lady Wisdom. So if you want to know where um, Mother in Heaven is referred to, this is a very um, bright, glaring, obvious scripture, and that's in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through 31, and it talks about the Mother in Heaven. She is the Lady Wisdom. She is the Queen of Heaven. She has many, many names, just like Heavenly Father does. And one of those that she is known by is Wisdom. So when we are made after her image, what does that mean? We are to search for the gift of wisdom. Why? Because that's our Heavenly Mother. That is one of the names that she is called by, Lady Wisdom. So just think on that, especially as you're continually refining your personal ministry and refining who you are as a woman. As uh, for any gentlemen, any men that are listening to this, what i want you to ask yourself what can i do as a man to for the women in my life to help them realize their full potential as women and it doesn't mean taking over for them not allowing them freedom that's part of your personal ministry too i think part of our personal ministries as men and women as male and female is how can i help my other half achieve their divine potential. And if, if you are not married, if you're single or, um, you can still have immense influence in people in the opposite sex. You still have a tremendous influence. And I still remember growing up in an all LDS town. I still remember the kindness and the unkindness of male leaders in my life and how that influenced who I was as a female. How I wish we could have had more information back then. How I wish the men could have realized what they were saying in their actions to a small girl in a a small LDS town. You have incredible I don't know what other word to use other than influence. Um, What you do in your actions speak loudly. And as we continue on um, with the creation, so we know from the different creation stories, from Genesis, the temple ceremony, Abraham, Moses, um, all of them are done in different orders and some of them are you know we'll talk about a spiritual creation and then the physical creation and it does not matter as much about the exact order as what is symbolically being taught god was not trying to teach us a science lesson here he was trying to teach us theology he was trying to teach us our worth and our mission and our ministry and his mission and his ministry and that he was doing all of this for us. One of the central themes in the creation story and in the creation of Adam and Eve is this theme of separation. I talk about this a lot in my book as well. We see how light was separated from dark, land from water, Um, even the waters themselves were separated, the waters below the firmament and the waters above the firmament. And then with Adam and Eve, the separation where I think when it talks about how there was one man, Adam, and then Eve was taken out of man. So she was a part of him. So there's that separation between male and female. Um, Not to say that he was androgynous. Um, Like I said, this is all symbolic. The creation of Adam and Eve was symbolic. And it says a lot where Adam was created out of the dust or out of the clay, out of the earth, and Eve was created out of Adam. So think about that. It doesn't say Eve was created out of the dust or out of clay. So there's that separation. And then eventually, of course, Adam and Eve are separated from the heavenly parents, just like we are separated from the heavenly parents. And even before the creation, there was a separation from the people who kept their first estate, and the people who kept not their first estate, and those people who followed Satan, they were separated, and they were cast down to the earth. And there is even one commentator that brought up that part of that symbolism of, of separating light from dark could have been um, echoing, referring to that first separation between the, the spirits of our heavenly parents. Um, we will eventually have a separation of our bodies uh, our spirit from our bodies in verse two well in sorry chapter two verse 16. i like this um in the midrash which is a commentary of the old testament it pictures the lower waters weeping at being separated from the upper waters suggesting that there is something poignant in the creative process when things once united, are separated. We see that when um, children are separated from their parents when they're very young. I mean, just weeping and wailing. Um, I have a grandson right now who is extremely attached to his mother, my daughter-in-law. And I know part of it is, is that age, but she can't even walk a few feet away from him where he just sobs great, huge tears. And we see the heartache and pain of divorce and why that is so incredibly painful out of all the separations that we could come across. And I think part of the veil that uh, this veil of forgetness that we have is that is so that we will not live out our days in so much anguish because we are separated from our heavenly parents. But there's enough in us that drives us and that, that causes our spirits to reach up and reach toward heaven, to reach toward the divine, toward something that is greater and bigger than us, that to return to a home that we vaguely remember through feelings and when, the, when we hear truth and we read truth, there's that stirring of that spirit, that spiritual DNA that tells us that what we are hearing or reading is true. And that's what the gospel affords us, is that truth. In Moses 2 verse 20, talks about um, the creation of woman. We remember President Hinckley. He described that woman was the crown of all creation. There is a man by the name of Matthew Henry. He said, Yet man being made last of the creatures, as the best and most excellent of all, Eve's being made after Adam and out of him, puts an honor upon that sex as the glory of the man. If man is the head, she is the crown, a crown to her husband, the crown of the visible creation. The man was dust refined, but the woman was dust double refined, one removed further from the earth. And even Heber J. Grant, J. Raymond Clark, and David O. McKay likewise expressed a related sentiment. They said the true spirit of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints gives to woman the highest place of honor in human life. Highest place of honor. So, how are we to behave? How are we to, if we know that we are the crown, if we are life's giver, not just life giver, but life's giver, we don't just create life within our wombs, which is an incredible, amazing thing to do, but we create life to, um, in the church and in the relationships around us. We also have been learning that the Genesis account and the Moses account were also, they are temple texts. Margaret Barker feels that the creation was in sense, a pattern that Moses was to follow when he erected the tabernacle. When So we've talked before about how the Garden of Eden, how Eden was considered um, a temple. Now there was no edifice, no building called a temple built in Eden because it was considered a temple because that's where our heavenly parents dwelt. They have, um, Adam and Eve were constantly in their presence. So a temple represents where heavenly parents where our heavenly father resides, where we can continually be in his presence. That's the um, symbolism of us when we go through our earthly temples. Um, there's tons of symbolism there, but we are being taught how to return to the presence of our heavenly parents and Jesus Christ. And so, like I said, where this physical church and its administrative, um, hierarchy is just a scaffolding on this earth that we won't have it in the next life the next life wherever we dwell if we get to if we have eternal life if we are given the gift of eternal life that means we will dwell forever in the presence of heaven, our heavenly parents that is our temple there is evidence that the creation account of Genesis Um, was used in Israel's temple liturgy before the Babylonian exile. See, everything changed with um, King Josiah, and right during the time of King Josiah, right after Lehi fled and a lot of other people, there were a lot of other refugees besides Lehi's family, and then the Babylonians came and just completely they conquered them they took a lot of them into exile this is where we talk about the lost 10 tribes they're not lost to heavenly father but they were taken away and there they were lost to history architecture of the tabernacle and the temple of ancient israel seems to have been a similitude based on moses's vision of the creation And I'll just read this quote. It's by a gentleman by the name of Ginsburg. And you can see how the tabernacle, and by reference, um, as we liken uh, uh, how our temple is very much like the tabernacle, right? God told the angels on the first day of creation, I shall make the heavens and stretch them out. So will Israel raise up the tabernacle as the dwelling place of my glory. On the second day, I shall put a division between the terrestrial waters and the heavenly waters. So will Moses hang up a veil in the tabernacle to divide the holy place and the most holy. On the third day, I shall make the earth to put forth grass and herbs. So will he, in obedience to my commands, eat herbs on the first night of Passover and prepare shoe bread before me. On the fourth day, I shall make the luminaries, so he will stretch out a golden candlestick before me. On the fifth day I shall create the birds, so he will fashion the cherubim with outstretched wings. On the sixth day I shall create man, so will Israel set aside a man from the sons of Aaron as high priest for my service." Um, And that is in a book that is written by Ginsburg called. Um, it's entitled Legends. So we see how um, all the different parts of the tabernacle are created or made in reference to the creation that was given to Moses. That very last part on day six about creating man and how, or excuse me, Israel set aside a man from the sons of Aaron as high priest for my service. We've talked about how Adam was an archetype for a high priest right he was an archetype for Jesus Christ who is the high priest so all of this really ties in with the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve with a temple with the tabernacle and as you study the Old Testament always look for these patterns and how they tie in with other scriptures other um, historical things that have happened and um, always look to it with an eye to the temple how does this How does this help me understand the temple better? And how does the temple help me understand the Old Testament better? And also with the priesthood, especially in terms of Jesus Christ being the high priest. And how can I see the priesthood um, unfolding within the text that I'm reading in the Old Testament? There's so much that we can clean. If we look at the Old Testament, especially in these accounts, as temple texts. Um, in the last book in the Bible, in Revelation, um, John, he prophesies a permanent return to Eden for the sanctified. So in Eden, as we talked about this, there was no need for a temple because Adam and Eve enjoyed the continual presence of God. Likewise, in John's vision, there was no temple in the holy city, for its temple is the Lord God. To reenter the garden is to return to the original spiritual state of immortality and innocence through the atonement and to know the oneness that existed at the dawn of creation in an even more perfect manner. When I talked about how Adam and Eve, that they are a temple, that they have been built together. And we know in the scriptures how Paul has told us that we are not our own that we are a temple, um, that um, we are a temple unto God, and that our bodies are a temple. The same thing with Adam and Eve. With the, um, the verb that is, or the noun that is used in the, in the Genesis account about how a rib was taken out of Adam, the word that was used there means to build, and it was more like a side so it's rather than a rib a side so out of his side a woman was built and this word um, that was used "sela" t-s-e-l-a was only used in describing um, sacred structures that were built in the old testament in ancient israel besides the woman being a sacred edifice a woman uh, her body her gender the fact that Adam and Eve were sealed together, that husband and wife were sealed together in the temple, they are now creating their own temple together. A temple to where we have the potential to have the spirit of God, to have God dwell within us. I don't think that is just symbolic. I think that that can be an actual destination for us especially when we cross over on the other side and we are still together is that we will dwell together with god forever and since we are promised that we will eventually be able to create our own worlds create our own spirits that we will become our presence will constitute a temple for our children, that makes sense. For our Adam and Eve, when they are in our presence, they will be in a temple setting, continual in our presence. So you can see all of these echoes and these forerunners in the scriptures and in the creation story and in the story of Adam and Eve, how Eve was created. We become a temple together it's a new temple, it's a stronger temple, it's a temple with superpowers, I like to think of, is that on our own, yes, we can do amazing, wonderful things, but we are meant to be with our opposite half, to work together, and to create together, because we we can have God in our presence. In Moses chapter three, in verse 15, where um, God took man, you know, Adam and Eve, and put them in the garden, told them to dress and to keep it. We spoke about this earlier, of how he wasn't just a gardener, that the Hebrew terms for to dress and to keep respectively connote to work, serve, till, and to keep, to watch or guard and preserve talked about how he um, Adam as a high priest and Eve as a high priestess we are to preserve these temple teachings and we teach a lot of temple symbolism in um, a lot of, of things that we do significantly these are the very words that are used to describe the tabernacle duties of the Levites so I I wonder if there were female Levites or maybe there were only uh, in terms of serving in the temple and maybe there were only male, but we know now with the restoration, there's male and female. Um, we are to guard and preserve. If Eden is seen then as an ideal sanctuary, then perhaps Adam should be described as an archetypal Levite. We talked about that. He's an archetypal high priest, archetypal Jesus Christ. He was a priest, not merely a worker and keeper of the garden, the traditions that he was carrying on and preserving and, care and uh, passing on to his children. In verse 18, when it talks about and help meet for him in my book, We Are Adam, I talk about this, about the Hebrew words and how it was changed. It was modified by man to go from help meet to help to, and they would put the words together, help meet to help mate to wife. And so it just, it evolved based upon the culture of the day. A lot of the cultures have superimposed this film over the creation story. And we're finally, that film is being burned off with the light of revelation, with the light of truth. And we are understanding the creation story and the Adam and Eve story for what they were really meant to be understood as. And it wasn't to denigrate the woman, it was the complete opposite. And so you can see how Satan got into this got into men's hearts. And what was the best way to um, bring man to a lower status to have men bring women down to um, take off that crown and tarnish that crown. There is more intended here than merely to help men at work, right? Hand me the wrench, dear, or the beginning of descendants. The man is created by God in such a way that he needs the help of a partner, right? Hence, mutual help is essential, um, is an essential part of human existence. I think that is both for men and women. Women need a partner men need a partner and if you do not have that right now if you are married and do not have that i think that should be your very first thing to aim towards in your goals as a couple is how can we be better partners and presiding when a man presides in the home that does not mean he's the head of the home i know that has been told said in the past that's a cultural uh definition that was given because that's the way it was of the culture of our time that is not our culture now and if it is we need to eradicate that he presides but he's not the head both husband and wife are head together it's a mantle it is a they are a unit just like god is heavenly father and heavenly mother Um, head is um, wife and husband. Man presides in the home with his priesthood, with his ordination. That is where that comes from. What does that mean? We have to pray about it individually and as a couple. What does that mean in our homes? Um, Because women have authority and power in the priesthood. We have everything except the ordination, and the ordination If you want to refer more to this in my book, I'm going to talk about the two trees. And this comes from another woman. This uh, wasn't my original idea. But um, if you read about the two trees, the priest comes through one tree and the life comes through the other tree. So I'll just leave you with that. And you can go uh, read that out of my book. Um... Hugh when he talks about the rib, he said the rib in Arabic is the Urka or Selka. It is the expression for anything as close to you as a thing can possibly be. So just like the waters, the lower waters wept from being separated from the higher waters, men and women are created in a way that we are um, supposed to be. As close as anything could possibly be, and that's why the scriptures have told. And I find it interesting that the counsel is given to man to cleave to your wife. Why? Well, in general, it's I. It when I when I hear the constant um, counsel to men to um, to remember their roles as husbands and fathers, that they are to preside. I really feel like that the brethren and God are telling men to step up, to step into their roles, that there's so much more that they can be doing. It doesn't mean that women are perfect and that we um, don't have uh, similar counsels. but in general, women are created with a more nurturing attitude, and um, we would no sooner leave our children but in in general terms um, in our right minds, we would never leave our child now men don't have that intense closeness um, or nurturing feelings towards the children, and in part it's because they did not carry them there is um, I will talk about this i 'll probably write um, a blog about this and um, I can update the show notes about how there is a genetic and a DNA connection between the mother and her child um, and how we actually create that spark within them of, of the light of Christ. And it's uh, a lot of science in there besides the traditional, what I'm going to teach about Christ is we create that spark um, the light of Christ as as the children come into the world. So men, um, and I'm not saying every single man needs to uh, needs to be slapped on the hand and told to stand up, but there are a lot of men who do, because in general, this is something that they have to be guided through with, with Heavenly Father. The Hebrew word for "made," when talks about making the woman in um, in this verse, uh, verse twenty-two, which has the sense of "built," is used only this once in the creation narratives. There is a word play that is used in the Hebrew word that is used for to build, which is B N H, with B Y N, which means to discern, which I found fascinating indicating that woman was endowed with intelligence, surpassing that of man. I see this in when Eve saw the tree, she saw that it was good. She, when we see the word about how she was beguiled, beguiled is a very rare Hebrew word that was used to demonstrate the mental process that this woman went through. Adam didn't. He was just straightforward and just God told us not to. I'm not even going to think about it. But um, Eve was continually bringing up into her mind about the commandments that God gave them, the counsels the things that they were taught and about how they were meant to have children, about how the, this tree was for good. And her brain worked in a different way than the man's. She was also the first one after she gave, the after Adam partook of the fruit that Eve gave him. She was the first to recognize Satan for who he was. So that separation of light and dark, we see that happening within Eve first, where she was now, I recognize that you have no light, because he appeared as a being of light to Eve. And he tried to tell her, I can't, i am come to you to give you this, this fruit for a reason. And because I'm coming from Heavenly Father, or I'm, I am coming as his envoy. He didn't say those words, but he deceived her. Because he came as a, he tried to trick her in in, that he was a being of light. After she partook, her eyes were open and she had that separation. She was finally able to discern between light and dark, and between Satan and and Heavenly Father. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. I think the creation of woman was amazing. I think being a woman is amazing. And do not let anybody tell you that your gender is not divinely given of God. Don't ever let anybody suggest that your gender was a mistake. We are crowns. We are the crowning creation. And I'm so grateful for this. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Have a wonderful divine day.